The United States Treasury takes extraordinary measures to allow the U.S. to keep paying its bills. That's after it runs up a debt of over $31 trillion. Economist Harry Dent is here to discuss that story and the next two years of economic turmoil. Senator John Cornyn, along with a group of bipartisan senators, say it's time for a deal on immigration. Center for Immigration Studies Director Mark Gregorian says the problem is much bigger than that. Well, it's time to safeguard the American dream. El General Paul Vallely and Edward Huglin, along with Mary Fannin, on the Citizens Commission for Restoring America. And the new broadcast to tell you about the National Security Hour. Economy, immigration, national security. What is the plan? Viewpoint this Sunday is next. the bias, the lies and deceit, and bring forth real talk from real people about real news. Providing the out loud truth and capturing the essence of a new generation all in a fast-paced hour. This is Viewpoint This Sunday. Welcome to the weekend news magazine, Viewpoint This Sunday. It is Malcolm Outlaw. A lot on the news cycle uh, this week, friends, is, is always here. Economy, immigration, national security. Let's start right up top of the program with uh, the economy and uh, the debt, which is an exploding story, to be sure. I've asked to join me on the program, Harry Dent, who joins me. He's the uh, economic forecaster and New York Times bestselling author. Uh, Harry, welcome to Viewpoint this Sunday. Always a privilege to have you. Yeah, nice to be back, Malcolm. So the Treasury began deploying these, what they're calling extraordinary measures uh, this Thursday, which we knew it was going to happen on Thursday, uh, which allows the United States to keep paying its bills after, you know, they've run up uh, a debt we knew was happening, well over $31 trillion now and no end in sight, to say the least. Uh, Now, this kind of is kind of a little bit of a Hail Mary. It gives the federal government time until I think about June, early June, end of May, something like that, before it faces an actual default. What does that really mean to Americans? Because I'm going to suggest to you, Harry, that I think most people really do believe the government prints this money up out of thin air and they don't really understand. I'm not trying to be funny here, but I don't think they really understand the vast vast majority of Americans don't really get the severity of what we're talking about. What does this mean? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a bigger problem because in bad times, you know, you have to stimulate the economy and print money and, 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 and all that sort of stuff. You shouldn't be doing it during uh, booms, okay? And so they they have, ever since the 2009 slowdown, they have been printing money, printing money, and here's what happened. They finally blew it because they overreacted to COVID. Now, I look at COVID as, hey, this is a short-term virus. You know, we've seen this before. It'll pass. Why? They printed $5 trillion and another $5 trillion in fiscal. Both of those things, particularly the new fiscal stimulus, $5 trillion, 
create inflation rapidly. So finally, you know, they've been doing all this money printing for years and years, but because workforce has been slowing and other things that are inflationary, they haven't gotten an inflationary response. Now suddenly they get 9.1%, and so they have to tighten policy. So now they are tightening on the economy, and they're thinking they're doing it because the economy's strong. My fundamental data on when consumers spend, and there's no better data than I have, shows the economy is still at its weakest point. And without the, not only without the stimulus, but now that they're tightening, I think the economy is going to weaken rapidly in the coming months. And then they're going to have to turn around and, 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 and stimulate again, which is going to really look foolish. The now, point now, let is, me ask you something here. You shouldn't I be living on stimulus. Let me jump in here something now that's important you just said. I'm seeing some really very uh, ominous signs that you don't often see, Harry, and that is all over the technical sector, business sector. These companies now are preparing with, you know, they're looking at their crystal balls and they are all preparing massive firings and cutoffs and layoffs. I mean, they're downsizing across the board. Everybody is in preparation. It's almost like you're seeing a, a five-category cat hurricane off the shore, and they're waiting for it to come in, and now they're preparing. Is that an assessment of what we're looking at here? Well, it's starting, but still the, the labor the labor force is still strong. It is not backing off yet. Yes, companies are starting layoffs. It won't take much for that. To accelerate. But I see the biggest problem, frankly, since they bubbled this up. It's the stock market and housing that bubble up the most with this endless money printing. Now these bubbles, the stock market, the most important thing happened to me, Malcolm, I've been waiting for it for years to see a first crash that was over 30 percent. And the Nasdaq did that in, in early 2022. And, and it got down to 34 and then 38 percent. That tells me this bubble's finally over. Until we have that, it's not. It's the stock market going down and this bubble bursting that takes wealth out of the top 20% that own all these financial assets that's going to be hard now to fight an economy. This whole wealth bubble, it, it was real spending that drove the economy for the baby boom from 83 to 2007. I was the one guy that predicted that decade before it happened. Greatest boom in history. But then it's over. They've been stimulating ever since. And now without the stimulus, I say they're dead. By time they turn around and react, the economy is going to be weakening. The stock market, again, if it just breaks to a new low, the number I'm looking at, Malcolm, is real simple. 10,088 on the NASDAQ. That was the recent low. It's been bouncing sideways. Once it breaks that, it'll confirm we're in the next wave down, and the next wave will be as big as the first one. Next thing you know, stocks will be down 50 to 60%, and there's no way to change consumer And we're sentiment. looking at this happening here later in 2023, are we not? This is going to yeah, happen. I'm, this I'm looking at the next few months, yeah. breaking to this new low, and then it accelerates down, and then we're in trouble because there's no way to convince people it's okay when the stock market's down 50 to 60% right. instead of 20 to 30. Right, now, let me ask you, let's talk about Congress a moment here. So the argument back and forth is going to be raising this borrowing limit. Now, put all that to the side. How does this play out if they do default? And here, here's what we're thinking here now. The, the House Republicans said they will not uh, do any sort of an increase uh, without federal cutting federal spending, which, of course, you and I have talked plenty with over the years about cutting federal spending. Uh, and but Democrats have immediately rejected anything around that and said, no, no, they, they don't want any encumberment on them. They want to be able to just raise this debt limit as they go. 
Uh, now, there's a series of meetings going on here. M McCarthy has said, uh, the, the new speaker, that he will accept a meeting with Joe Biden. You know, he calls it reckless spending, but he's going to meet with the president. The president comes back and says, we're going to have a little discussion on this, Biden says. Uh, he says, if we don't meet our national debt and we renege for the first time, we have a calamity that exceeds anything that has ever happened financially in the United States. Is that a true statement or not? Well, that is, and I, and I don't think see it happening because of that. But but again, what's the problem here? It's one thing to run deficits when you're in a slowdown, whether it's for good reasons, you know, or bad reasons. To be constantly running deficits when the economy's growing and you're not in recession or downturn just means your budget has gotten out of control. And and I I would be for <laughs> if it were me, I would enforce this limit and say you do have to cut back whatever you do. We can't all the all they keep doing is raising this thing and raising this thing. And that's a problem. If we were in a downturn, it would be different. You say, well, okay, the economy's down. The economy's not down. The problem is they're overstimulating right. and they're still running deficits, which is insanity. So so I think what's really going to happen here is the stock market's going to keep turned down again. Part of this is, is one of the reasons, but just a number of things. Stock market keeps going down and the wealth effect is what's, what does throw us into recession. The top 20% own all the wealth and they spend half the money. So it doesn't take much for the wealth effect to throw us into recession. So you and then, then, then this is mute. So you support the 20 or so uh, of the Republicans in the new House that are going to hold strong on this and force uh, uh, some sort of a deal on the spending before they give more money. Uh, that, uh, in other words, you're, you know, we're talking about a credit limit now for the federal government is what we're talking about. They've exceeded their credit limit, just like you would if you went over your card and the bank said, no, that's enough. you got to cut the spending. You're telling me you support that. Now, so does that mean in this game of chicken... Does that mean that, and I'm just, just asking here, does that mean that the Biden administration is going to have no cho choice? I mean, in order to, to do something, in order to pay the bills, because we're talking about that moment of friction here, are they going to have no choice but to legitimately cut spending? Is there going to be an option for them or not? Well, yeah, if they hold to this, because uh, if they don't approve this, they're going to have to do something. And again, while they're having this argument, the stock market is going to keep saying, oh, my God, we're just ready to bounce. The stock market is oversold in their term. It's just starting to bounce. And the stock market may say, well, they can't if they can't resolve this, then then we're in trouble. And the stock market starts going down again. And that's the worst thing that can happen. I'm just telling you, people wouldn't think of that. The worst thing to happen is the stock market makes a new low, low right now, which will affect the sentiment of the top 20% of consumers that spend 50% of the money. And all they got to do is pull back a little bit because their investment accounts are going down so much and this economy's in a recession. Well, and well, then again, all of this is moot. Well, that's why that top 20, uh, that, that top percent, uh, that's why they're cutting 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 80,000 employees off right now, Harry. They're not stupid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, businesses are seeing the slowing and they start to cut. And then the more the con, that's why it's always a, a self-reinforcing cycle. Economy starts to slow for whatever reason. Stock markets get overvalued and fall. Businesses get, you know, see things slowing and start to cut back and then unemploy people. And then that causes the economy mm -hmm. to, to slow more because those people aren't spending as much because they're on welfare or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just builds. So that, that's why it's hard to start. To me, the stock market peaked on January 4th of 2022, and we're only a third 
they're 40% of the way down where we're going. So, so I see the stock market continuing to go down, the crash of our lifetime. And we will be in a recession if that keeps happening soon. I, th- I think it's going to be very hard to avoid a recession here, especially if stocks keep going down. Yeah. And arguing over this stuff is another trigger for the stock market to say, well, right. you know, what can we do? Things right. do not look good. So we're talking really two very difficult years, I'm going to suggest to you, between now and the presidential election in 2024. There's kind of no way to avoid this at this point, is there? That that's what I would say. This is in motion. I my I'm telling people in my newsletter today. If I had to pick a bottom in the market, it'd be around the summer of 2024, right before the election. Number one, president in office does not get get reelected in a recession. If there's anyone more near George Bush Senior, did not get reelected in the recession was already well over. But there had been one just recently. So right. so that is bad for for Biden. If we are in a downturn and 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 that will definitely affect election. Yeah, yeah. No question about it. You know, you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about next week, uh, we get a chance on some of these other policies and we don't have time now. But I, I definitely I want to get your perspective on this gold and silver buy that's happening right now across the board as well. Uh, don't don't tell us now. Let's hold that back for later. But I am seeing a lot of uh, people now get to that point, and that's usually a telltale sign of things as well. Uh, they don't want to invest in the market, or they'll keep the money under their mattress, as they say. Harry, thanks for jumping on here and uh, giving us at least uh, your thoughts and a, and a purview of, of what you think with the current uh, economic demise here and with Congress fighting over the debt limit, which is a travesty. Thank you, sir. Okay. Okay, so there's the bit on the economy and uh, economist Harry Dent. And now you know with the debt ceiling and all of that that we're talking about. It's a pretty big piece of the pie here when I talk about the plan. Uh, let's now dive into another story we, we really need to is uh, immigration. And uh, there's some interesting developments here, though. Uh, in the last week, I'd like to chat about. We'll do that with Mark Gregorian. Always a privilege to have Mark on. He uh, serves uh, as uh, executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS. Uh, and uh, this is a uh, nonpartisan research organization in Washington, D.C. And Mark has got an incredible group of folks there. And uh, it's all immigration 24-7, huh, Mark? It is indeed. And we're online at cis.org for people who are interested. Yeah, and there's a ton there, man. There's a, it's the place to go to get uh, a lot of information on it. All right. Interesting developments this past week, which I have to admit kind of surprised me, uh, except that, you know, the gravity of the situation is very clear, very obvious. We've been talking about it for some time, but that doesn't normally change the uh, uh, political cats to drive into action. So there's a bipartisan group of senators now that are attempting to craft an immigration compromise uh, and put together something which really rattles the mind if they can pull this off uh, at this time is pretty striking. U.S. Uh, Senator John Cornyn, uh, he, I mean, he's kind of spearheading some of this and trying to create a bipartisan deal. He says, and I quote, uh, he says, Mark, uh, I've never seen the border in this bad shape. Well, I bet you a lot of us could echo that statement. Uh, There's no alternative but to step up and try to deal with this best we can. This group of senators uh, here uh, that we're speaking about are both left and right, as I say. And there's a a pretty good list of the cats here we're talking about. Mark Kelly, Democrat out of Arizona, Tom Tillis, Republican out of North Carolina, James Lankford, uh, Republican out of Oklahoma, uh, even Chris Coons out of Delaware, uh, Jerry Morgan out of Kansas, Morin out of Kansas. Uh, You know, there's a series of them now. 
Uh, what do you make of this? Is this pie in the sky or is this even uh, <laughs> uh, on the playing field? Well, it's worse than pie in the sky. It's uh, the, you know, the lollipop the guy in the uh, uh, van offers the kid walking home from school. Uh, you know, the fact is that there, there, there can be no, um, you know, compromise deal about legalizing some illegal aliens in exchange for something else. That can't even be discussed until this administration starts enforcing the law. That's the problem. They're not enforcing the law that's there now. Why would anyone expect them to enforce any new deal that somehow got through Congress and got to the president's desk? It's not going to happen. And it shouldn't happen because this administration is the first one in history, and I'm including all Democratic administrations as well as Republican, that rejects the very idea of deterring people and preventing people from crossing the border illegally. They do not see that as their job. Their job is to welcome people who cross the border illegally so long as they say the magic words of political asylum and then let them go into the United States, mm -hmm. which is all illegal. And until they start complying with the law, they they can't be trusted to do anything, you know, with new laws. Yeah. So what I'm gathering now is this group of senators, both Republicans and Democrats, see the gravity of the situation. They've kind of thrown their hands up into the air. They don't really know what to do. They know it's a long, long, long shot. But other than, you know, political suicide, my guess is it's probably the most serious Hail Mary in immigration we've seen. And the last thing that happened was in 2013 with uh, Rubio and the Gang of Eight. And we know how that all went, you know. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I would. I think you're giving them more credit. I mean, I, you know, I, I uh, applaud your Okay. Um, All right. Your desire to give these guys credit. Okay. Uh, now, and, you know, I'm not totally cynical on this. They, they do feel this need to do something. The problem is that the legislative changes that are necessary that will, in fact, um, they can, in fact, force the administration to change its policies uh, are something that the Democrats will never agree to under any circumstances whatsoever. And therefore the Republicans are kind of almost negotiating with themselves. Just, just what I mean here right, is for instance, right. this administration is using a power called parole and parole in the immigration sense has nothing to do with the criminal law parole. What it means is Congress has given the president authority. This is for many years to let in a small number of emergency cases who don't have visas and don't have any right to come in. It's explicitly intended for things like um, somebody who needs to testify at a criminal trial, no time for a visa, you know, the administration can wave him in and then escort him back out, or their medical emergency, something like that. This administration is using this narrow uh, uh, narrow little power to let in hundreds of thousands of people into the United States and let them go. And none of these people is ever going to leave, period. Mm -hmm. 
even if they don't, even if supposedly their two-year parole and they get a work permit with that, remember, runs out, it doesn't matter. They're not going to leave. This administration isn't looking for them. So a legislative change that is imperative is restricting or even abolishing this parole power that the president has to let in people who don't have any right to be here. Mm-hmm. There's no way that any Democrat in Congress will ever vote for that. And so the Republicans who are, and some of them, look, they're well-meaning people very often, are sort of trying to do something. And the and, and since the real changes that are necessary are literally out of the question mm-hmm. until the makeup of Congress changes, they end up trying to split the difference that can't be split. And they're they're accepting the premises, sort of, of their Democratic colleagues. And there's no way that can end well. So anyway, my point is, this is, um, it's not just not going anywhere. It shouldn't even be a topic for discussion. Mm, Wow. Wow. Well, I have to tell you back, Mark, uh, thank you for calling me out. I appreciate that. (laughs) Really, I do. Um, Because uh, you're right. You're exactly right uh, with the psychology. I mean, you study this thing very, very, very closely. And I totally get the political ramifications of what you're speaking about. You know, everybody has an opinion about this immigration business. And there are a lot of hypotheticals. And we have a history of what we've done. And we see where we're at now. It is a crisis mode. Our military knows it. Retired military law enforcement knows it. The drug cartels are running the show. We have drugs running rampant all over the country. I mean, there are are so many lists of reasons why this is a hazardous to our health, our well-being, and our lifestyle. Uh, It's an endless thing. We could talk about the problems all day long here. With all that said, you have to come back to this administration. Like you say, you can't change somebody who doesn't want to be changed. You can't modify that behavior if they don't wish to have their behavior modified. So what I think you're saying is they're getting what they want. They Why would they possibly change the paradigm right now when it's exactly what they want? And then one has to take their right hand mark and they have to scratch the back of their head and they have to ask themselves, why? Hmm. Yeah, I, that's a good question. Why? Why is the administration so um, hell-bent on not enforcing immigration laws and letting illegal immigrants in. A lot of people imagine it to be some kind of, uh, you know, uh, a plan to import Democratic voters, for instance. A Tucker Carlson has talked about that. A lot of people have. That's right. I don't think that's what it is. Um, I mean, that's clearly, you know, one of the effects. And I'm not saying that um, Democratic, uh, you know, politicians and others don't, see that as a benefit but that's not i don't think that's what's driving this this is an ideological issue they see uh the flow of people which they've created but they don't really acknowledge that they see that as inevitable as like part of the weather we all just have to deal with it and you combine that with the ideological commitment to um or the ideological opposition to enforcing borders. They do not believe that the American people have the right to say no to anyone who shows up at the border with some kind of sob story. They literally think that is Jim Crow, the equivalent of it. 
And therefore, it doesn't matter what the law says. The, the people running immigration in this administration see themselves as heroic when they subvert and undermine immigration law because immigration law itself is immoral in their um, estimation. And when the administration has to backpedal a little, as this announcement from a few weeks ago that the administration is, you know, new plan to crack down, which isn't really much of a crackdown, but it's a little bit of a crackdown. Um, the, you know, that's that really sticks in the craw, not only the activists, but even I think of a lot of people, the political people in the administration. But ultimately, they cannot bring themselves to do what's necessary to stop this flow of people across the border, which can be stopped or dramatically reduced anyway, because to do it would mean to do things that they consider immoral in themselves. Yeah. It's not just that Donald Trump did these horrible things like the Remain in Mexico program where you have to wait in Mexico for your asylum hearing date and then they let you in. Um, it's because it, Biden, I mean, Trump did it, therefore it's bad. But even if Trump didn't do it, they can't bring themselves to do that. So anyway, my point here is that we're going to see two more years of this. Right. I mean, there'll be some ups and downs. Right. Uh, December was the record year, record month ever for illegal alien apprehensions, close to a quarter million. January might actually be a little lower. It's not going to be a lot lower, but it might be a little lower. And the administration will say, ha ha, look, you know, we're, we've got this under control, but it's not going to change fundamentally until the root cause is addressed. And the right. root cause of the of this border policy is sitting in the Oval Office. OK, yeah, yeah. Or at least yeah. telling the person sitting in the Oval Office what to do. Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, we can, in fact, bring this uh, under control. Not all of the illegal immigrants that have gotten in or been let in during this administration are going to end up getting thrown out. Some of them are going to end up staying. There's no question about that. This administration has let in, actually let in, in other words, in their hands and then let go into the United States. Yeah. At this point, probably close to 1.7, 1.8 million illegal aliens yeah. in the almost two years, the two years now they've been in charge. That we know of. And then another million uh, that we know crossed. We have pictures yeah. or um, hits on a ground sensor or whatever, but they didn't catch them. So, and then there's other illegals that got in and they don't have any record of it. So there's a lot of it. It's probably at this point, 3 million illegal immigrants have gotten into the United States under the Biden but, but Mark, the crux of that, though, is out of that three million plus, uh, three, four, five million, whatever it is, the, the cancer in this whole discussion that you and I are having is we just don't know how many of those are really evil, bad cats that are out to do us harm. And that could change the entire trajectory of your and my conversation right now back to that transformation. In a sense, though, you know, the handful of them that might be terrorists and yeah. There's definitely some of them because, you know, last year the Border Patrol actually caught 98 people on the terrorist watch lists. Right. Those are the ones they caught. Uh, so somebody got through. But my point is that the harm that a terrorist gets through who gets through will cause, mm -hmm. in a sense, is 
I won't say it's less of a problem, but it's easier to deal with because we'll see it. It'll hit us in the face, literally. And we will respond as we did on 9-11. Interesting. Uh, it depends upon the severity of the events we're talking about. And there could be some real severe things that happen that could dwarf sure. any 9-11 sort of thing. And that would also change our discussion points, Mark, you know. Very much so. Uh, so we know the danger is real. We can't sugarcoat that. We understand that maybe we get the benefit of the doubt. Maybe we don't. It's a roll of the die, clearly. We don't really know. Uh, but the problem is, and the sad reality, Mark, that I think you would agree with me is, is it's reckless on every level. And it's undue pain and stress for the American people and the sovereignty of our nation. We agree on that, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is reckless is, is an understatement. It's uh, unbelievable that any administration thinks that this is a good idea. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. CIS.org is the site. You get a whole lot more. Um, uh, what a very interesting conversation, Mark. Uh, you and I just peeled that onion in a probably, probably a pretty significant way, I think. I think folks got a lot out of it. Uh, thank you always, my friend, for joining us here on Viewpoint this Sunday, sir. Happy to do it anytime. We'll take a quick pause now and we'll rejoin you on the other side. You're listening to Viewpoint this Sunday. The America Out Loud talk radio app is on Android or Apple. It's the perfect way to listen in to the new generation of talk shows and hosts who are ready to inform and inspire. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? Well, now there is, and it's a pulvidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a pulvidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at CofixRx.com. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com, seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Viewpoint this Sunday. And it is Malcolm Out Loud here and want to welcome all of our fellow Americans into the broadcast and uh, from a lot of our friends around the globe who listen as well. Welcome in here to Viewpoint. Always a privilege to be with you. Uh, and uh, thank you for being on the mission here with us. 
Another extraordinary viewpoint today. Uh, we've covered in big ways the economy and our immigration. And now I want to turn our attention to national security. And I think this next segment, you'll get a lot out of what we're going to talk about next. And also, we've got a big program and announcement to make as well in just moments. Well, I'll tease it up now with you and tell you a brand new program. I could just, I'm over the moon on this. And it's called uh, the National Security Hour. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment, the National Security Hour, what that's all about. But let's dive into why national security is such a problem right now. And we'll bring on um, a, a terrific panel here. Uh, General Paul Vallelee joins us. Uh, General Paul Vallelee, uh, he distinguished career, uh, 31 years in the U.S. Army, a retired deputy commanding general, U.S. Army Pacific in uh, Hawaii there. Has over 15 years experience, special operations, psychological operations, uh, civil military operations. I uh, served as a consultant to the commanding general of the Special Operations Command as well as the DOD anti-drug and counterterrorism task forces. And that's just the short list, my friends, right? And equally thrilled to have with us uh, a man that uh, you, you've seen him around because he's been on plenty of broadcasts nationally and just a great voice. Edward Huglin joins us. He's a retired federal senior executive, U.S. Air Force veteran. Uh, and Edward has had over four decades of service, including the service as senior leader in the intelligence community and Department of Defense, uh, Department of Homeland Security, Department of Energy State, uh, served as uh, chairman of CIA Strategic Planning. I mean, this is a who's who here, basically. Uh, worked uh, with the uh, nuclear arms inspections of Soviet, former Soviet Union. I thought that was interesting. An award-winning CIA intelligence analyst. As well. And also joining us is our very own Mary Fannin is here. And Mary is, uh, really, she's the best. Uh, she's an investigative journalist, uh, covers national security. She's about as passionate uh, as Malcolm is here when it comes to our nation, We're kind of people that bleed red, white, and blue here. And uh, she has a, a, just a vast experience in this field and has been instrumental in bringing such great voices together here. Welcome to the broadcast, all of you. It is a privilege to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Malcolm. Thank you, Malcolm. All right. So let's jump into something I, I do want to talk about right up front here. All right. So there are three founding members of what I'm going to announce right now. And I, I read the entire plan and I was very pleased with it. It's uh, entitled the Citizens Commission for Restoring America. Now, just let that resonate in your mind a moment, folks. The Citizens Commission for Restoring America. There are three founding members in that. Two of those founding members are on the broadcast right here. And that is General Paul Vallelee and Edward Huglin, as I say, and also General Tom McInerney, surely a friend of the network and broadcast here. And those three are the founding members of this Citizens Commission for Restoring America. Now, it's basically a call to action. Because this whole premise here is we the people is what we're talking about. And so this call to action. And let me go right first to you, uh, General, uh, uh, please, and uh, ask you, what? let's get to the need of why now and how this started. How did this uh, be become a thing? Well, thank you, Malcolm. I'll be happy to give you the background. Uh, the Stand Up America U.S. Foundation is endorsing uh, this new uh, Citizens Commission, 
Uh, General McInerney and I founded uh, Stand Up America U.S. Uh, back in 2006. Now, over the last year, we we have a tremendous amount of content publications uh, we put out uh, uh, to all over the social media worldwide uh, in our intelligence analysts, analysis, I should say, of uh, current national security threats, whether it be the cartels or whether it be China or whatever. But um, over that period of time, we, we kept receiving all of these questions. Well, that's great. You analyze things. You look at the threats. But what are we going to do about it as Americans? And so that generated the idea that I had uh, in, um, well, actually started way back in, in 2014, Malcolm, uh, when I wrote the American First Papers. And in 2016, I gave those American First Papers uh, to uh, the Trump campaign, along with another theme called uh, Pass to Glory from the Revolutionary War Day days. And um, President Trump uh, took the American First theme. Now, as a result of that, the Citizens Commission to Restore America is the follow-on to America First, the MAGA campaign. And we wanted to introduce a future thinking about where we're going in this country and have objectives to really restore the Constitution uh, and America. And when we have witnessed over the last several years the dismantling of America, the Great Reset, the Klaus Schwab, the Davos crowd, we entertain now an action plan that is very specific. And Ed is going to cover that, uh, Malcolm, uh, yeah. with you, the details of that plan. But yeah. we're, we're here to safeguard the American dream, the Constitution, mm. and freedoms for the future generations of Americans. By insurance, we have the resilience and we have the security of the republic. Amen. Amen. Now, a good strategy always ties the ways and means together to achieve a desired end. And that is what we have put together is the strategy now that we are going to implement January 2023 is the launch date uh, for the wow. CCRA, as we call it, a short name for it, CCRA. It is on our website, StandUpAmericaUS.org, StandUpAmericaUS.org, the total plan there, and also the first directive we put out. And what we uh, decided to do is actually, as a commission, we're putting out directives Okay. to the governors, to the senior right. I want to come back to that. Let, let me come back to that in a moment sure. here. I just made a note to General, uh, safeguard yeah. the American dream. I love those words. Thank you for saying that. And um, uh, it, it just sets a good base here for what we're doing here. Uh, let me now, I want to dive into some more details here, and we'll get into some of those objectives and things as well. Um, let me bring on um, as well to join us here. Edward uh, Huglin uh, joins us here. And uh I want to talk specifically, Edward, if you wouldn't mind, please, about uh, I want listeners to understand uh, that uh, one of the essential things I gathered from the plan, which I thought you all hit a home run with, was the cognitive war being the existential threat. And I, I, I have felt this passionately myself rather than the typical kinetic war that many have been, uh, you know, people think of war, they think of that. But really, we're in a war like nobody has seen before. And you get into education, you get into CRT, you get into a lot of fundamental things, the indoctrination factor uh, that are happening in our nation. Why is that so important here? And how does that play into what this uh, transformation of what's happening in America right now, sir? Well, thank you much, Malcolm. And the cognitive war is, is extremely important in that it is the existential threat 
to America. There's both a global cognitive war and a domestic cognitive war. And what it is in simple form, most simple form, is good versus evil. But what people think of today of the cognitive war, they see communist-like and socialist-like tactics and techniques and ideology being pushed forward. But the cognitive war is much more extensive than that. It uses ideology, religion, or issues as the ways to then drive and influence people. It uses a variety of different means, economic, social, political, and such. And the examples of that, for example, the Chinese using Confucius Institutes at U.S. universities. And domestically, the example of that are the woke BLM Antifa organizations and such, which is in driving different ideological efforts here in the United States and woke culture, if that makes sense. So the cognitive war is the ex existential threat. It's been ongoing since mankind was in, in existence because it's a war of ideas. It's a war of influence and a war of ideology. But, but when did it when did it get so boiling hot here? And when do you when do you see the pivotal moment, Edward, that it got so hot here that it became obvious? Well, that's a great question. And so the, the more recently, so it's been ongoing for the last hundred years. But the more recently, we've seen this uh, from 2016 on, and it got boiling hot when we saw our national security apparatus weaponized by the likes of people like John Brennan. Jim Clapper and Comey, who took a false dossier mm -hmm. and then leveraged socialist, communist type techniques to then put forth a false narrative, mm -hmm. which was then amplified by what we had was a, a once free press, which is now the fifth column in America, in my opinion. And that is where it started, because then it took a duly elected President Trump and purposely undertook a coup to undermine and destroy his legitimate regime from the outset. And here we are now six years later and this cognitive war has only progressed in a more dangerous fashion. Yeah, yeah. Is it safe to say based on what you just said, Edward, that you know, it just rang in my mind here. If I was to say the fourth estate to the fifth column, is that an accurate statement? Yes, in my mind, it is, is yeah. that we, we, we used to have, as you said, the fourth estate, the free press, and that's they've right. now moved to the fifth column. Yes, They're actually actively subverting. And where's the proof of this? Well, you see it from the FBI yeah. and state and other elements, the senior leadership, yeah. not the staff elements, the senior leadership working hand in hand with what I call the socialist media companies yeah. and mainstream media yeah. to push these false narratives and the American people get this. 70% yeah. of them see we're going in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah. That statement rings in my soul, I have to tell you, brother. It really does. Because I've been after the media for years now, and they are the culprit in all of this. It, it actually, I believe, truly, I do, this is going to be the story to come out of this era. It's not going to be stolen election. It's not going to be COVID, but it's going to be where the hell was the media in all of this. Uh, the fourth estate is entirely arrogant and ignorant. And they are part of the problem, which brings me to the point I want to ask you back to uh, General here a moment here and ask you something, you know, in relations to what we're talking about here now. And you think about some of the you mentioned Brennan, Clapper, Comey, some of these cats and back to Ed, I'm so glad I, I didn't expect we were going to go there, but I'm so thrilled that Edward brought that up in the way that he did, because here's what I want to talk about, General. One of the pitfalls we've got to think about in all this 
is the undermining and what's happened with the Department of Justice and the FBI and the CIA and that entire defense organization. This is really central to the theme of what we're talking about here. These cats, these, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to point any one person out, but these Brendan Clapper, Comey's and a whole parade more of them. Are these people just communist? Are they just anti-American? Are they just got their head up their ass? What is it exactly that brings that breed of character out, please? Well, I think it's all of those things. And of course, uh, over the last uh, several decades, really since the end of the Vietnamese War, the Vietnam War, in 1974, and what we saw in Berkeley and uh, anti-war campaigns, many of those ideologues uh, then entered into our universities and infected, uh, as I call it, uh, many of the students and the uh, directives uh, uh, coming out of the universities. That was translated then into the governments where you had a, a communist like uh, Brennan, for example, and they have infected the whole deep state, uh, if I may call it that. And so with that, uh, what they've done is taken the major organizations that uh, control uh, a government, the executive branch, the FBI, the CIA, our intelligence services, and also our generals and admirals. And so with this, these ideologues, they have bought into this now. And uh, that is why we see uh, the, the book we wrote, America's uh, Endgame for the 21st Century, Blueprint for Victory, is that we have to have a spiritual awakening. This is the power of the people that we're talking about. Yeah. And uh, if you look um, through the power of the people, we will solve the root problem, but it's got to be down at the county, the low level, where we get together and we stand up and we challenge what's going on. We say no uh, to the mandatory vaccines. We say no to CRT. We say no to what's happening in our schools. And that's what it's all about. Judge General, let me jump in. When you say at the local level and you're talking about, let me, let me jump here a moment here because we're talking about a couple things here now. We're talking about local school boards. We're talking about the sheriff, the local sheriffs. Uh, right. We're talking about the structure of our, which is really the area that I would suggest back to you that conservative patriotic Americans took their eyes off the ball. This is, these are my words now that I would suggest back to you uh, because they were doing whatever, raising families, building businesses, whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, some important things, surely. But I think a lot of that was indoctrinated at the local level and became very uh, overly progressive Marxist and started to take the country down, look at our crime in our cities and our urban areas and what's taking place there. That's all a factor. So in order to do this, you're saying you got to get back to the core of that local environment and begin to take that back over. It's not going to start at the federal level. It's going to start at the local. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's a power up. Uh, that's why we're so confident in this plan that we are bringing a strategy going on the offense against this information warfare against the people. But the challenge really is the awakening of the American people, yeah. our military, our politicians and other leaders to the reality of this ongoing uh, global cognitive war. Yeah. And we are seeking uh, to unfold uh, this uh, normal politics that we see here, that we elect these politicians and they don't do anything to uh, rectify the situation. There's no warriors, Malcolm, anymore. Yeah. Where are the warriors that I was trained by from World War II when I went to West Point in 1957, the Pattons, the Eisenhowers, the MacArthur's? Yeah. We don't have them anymore. That's why many of the retired people now that I'm working with, retired generals and senior uh, yeah. officials that have been in the government, 
that we are going to take a leadership role and we're going to work with the people and power this thing up across the country yeah. and, and embolden the sheriffs uh, to do what they can do. Well, let's, let me let me say this back to you. I think you might agree with this, but uh, I think you will. Uh, you know, you think back to when Tom Brokaw wrote the whole Greatest Generation and it came out of World War II and what it transpired. I mean, America changed the world a hundred times over. And this is where American exceptionalism comes from and patriotism and who we are as people and our Judeo-Christian values. And you look at all of that and then, you you know, you get a sense. I think what you're saying is, oh, OK, well, we've gone off the rails. We're going to come back and ask the greatest generation one more time to do it again. Is that what we're doing here, brother? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, American can no longer ignore the social, moral, and political collapse occurring within the United States, within the people. We must believe what we see, not what we hear. We must move to a political discourse that's logical, practical, and then embolden the leaders that we do have elected or that need to be replaced, and we see a new America rising in 2023. Okay. All right. All right. Now, I want to get into some objectives, some directives, and what have you. Now, this plan itself, which I have read through, uh, is it accepted, the PDF on that, can can I ask you all right out here live, is it acceptable for us to circulate that and put that on the post here on the America Out Loud? Is that, is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. All right. So we're ready to circulate this. So let's get that out then. And I want you all to read the directives. It'll be in the post when this goes now. Uh, uh, two podcasts here, uh, Sunday Afternoon Friends, to be sure, right at americaroutloud.com. Edward, I want to ask you something about some of these directives here. There's one in particular that I want your opinion on. Now, this is not an easy question. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll preface that in that way. You have a, a long career and history of service to our nation. You're in a perfect spot to attempt to answer this, although I don't know that it's answerable. But one of the directives you have in here. Uh, is kind of a, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's in your face and it's, it's obvious, but it's why we're broken here so badly. And it's this one. You say prosecute, remove public servants for abrogating their oath of office. So my question back to you is how do we do that exactly, please? Well, so great question. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is one of our prior priority areas to address. And as Paul said, and you mentioned, it's the local citizens, communities, governors, and state legislators that have the majority of the power in the United States. So how do we do this? Well, there are a couple different ways. One is the people in those states, the governors, the legislators, the attorney generals in every state can look at their elected officials and look at the public servants that serve their state. And they can assess whether or not those individuals are upholding their oath of office. And if they are not, there is federal statute under U.S. Code Title 18, I believe, and also in every single state. And it's constitutionally based that if you do not uphold your oath of office, you can be removed, fined, jailed, and precluded from public service again. So on the one level, the states need to start taking these actions for, for example, like Gascon, the district attorney in, in California. Mm -hmm. Other states need to start taking this action for folks, in my opinion, like Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell, who completely abrogated their oath of office by selling us a false dossier and flying to the American people for six years. And then you have at the congressional level, 
Congress needs to step up to the plate because Congress is the only body that can try someone for treason. And in this case here, again, my opinion, our president, Joe Biden, has not upheld his oath of office. He's abrogated it. He's actually aided and abetted our enemies by opening our borders, allowing 110,000 Americans to be murdered by the drug war. But in the Constitution, there's remedy for that. Congress has to step up, hold him accountable. Now, we also have classified document issues that we could bring to the bureau. But he's abrogated his oath, broken his oath in many different ways. So has many members of his cabinet and his vice president. All right, let's take a deep breath all together now. And um, Mary, Mary Fannin, let me bring you into the conversation a moment here now. With what we've laid out with this plan, talk about the timing of this is, uh, it really is another God moment here, to be sure. Mary, what do you make of all this with with this uh, amazing uh, plan of action here? Uh, The Citizens Commission for Restoring America, the founding members, what we're doing here. And I'm about ready to tell listeners what we're going to do here with the launch of the show. But what do you make of this conversation so far? Well, Malcolm, it's a pleasure to be with you. And you're hearing from these men. These are men who have devoted their lives to this country, who believe in their oath to the U.S. Constitution. Our country is being dismantled before us, and it's time for the patriot class to step up and stop that. It was no more clear than when Joe Biden stood and spoke toward moving North America toward a North American Union, destroying our sovereignty. That was the Declaration of North America, the DNA. This was really a declaration to destroy this country. And there are people who will not tolerate that and believe in the U.S. Constitution, and they will not let Joe Biden redistribute our country and destroy it. The DNA, the Declaration of North America, was the declaration toward our destruction. It was that simple. Let me make the grand announcement right now. And it's very important to our mission here at America Out Loud and uh, to, to, to be sure. So much that we have carved out a primetime space. What you're listening to right now is going to be transformed into what's called a new broadcast here called the National Security Hour. Just exactly what it is, friends. And then we'll be addressing all of these things that we're talking about here and a whole lot more in this amazing hour that we'll be doing. And the folks who are here and right here on the broadcast will be part of this and will be they'll be hosting it and they'll be having conversations and bringing the real, you know, brass taxes to the microphone to the American people here. Now, the executive producer of this broadcast is none other than ours truly here. Mary Fannin will be the executive producer and will be host at various times of the program through the week as well. It's on every day now, Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right after the Tom Rents show at 7 will be the National Security Hour, Monday through Friday, hear it on iHeartRadio, hear it on our free apps, hear it on our media player, hear it on any of the networks, Ron. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's perfect. It's perfect. Now, let me give you a program a note. The Dr. Paul Alexander Liberty Hour will be moving over to the weekends, and I'll have some program notes for you there coming up next here. Uh, but that will be uh, proceeding with us. It'll be on the weekends. Uh, and we've made room for this very important broadcast, the National Security Hour, Monday through Friday. Uh, this will launch now, and here's the drum roll. So please make a note here and, and, and tell your circle of friends and influences when you're here 
the the uh, uh, career patriots and people who understand how our country ticks, like Edward here, uh, that you're, you're you're hearing on the broadcast today. I mean, you know, this is uh, these are people who've been there. Edward Huglin. I mean, people like General Paul Vallely, General uh, Tom McInerney. Uh, these are uh, people who understand the fabric of our nation. And they'll be involved intimately as, as well as others will be in this amazing broadcast. So it launches this Thursday, the 26th of January, year of our Lord, 2023. Uh, okay, Thursday the 26th is our blast off. You'll hear Mary Fannin take the microphone that day, 7 p.m., and we'll begin. We won't look back again as we launch the National Security Hour here on uh, where else? America Out Loud Talk Radio, friends, right? That's it. Um, General, I'll give you the last word, uh, you and Edward both on this. Uh, you're, you, can we do something with this? Well, absolutely. And uh, as, as we know, all movements, just like America First or the Tea Party movement, it takes leadership, it takes structure, and it takes funding to some degree to make it a success. And our, our listeners uh, can go to StandUpAmericaUS.org. Uh, the plan is on there. The directives, uh, uh, number one, is on there, and more will follow. Yeah. And so track us on that website. And with your uh, program, uh, Malcolm, yeah. uh, we're going to make yeah. this success. All right. And All right. We now, we're going to put that website in the post, uh, uh, General. We'll have a StandUpAmericaUS.org. Is that correct? StandUpAmericaUS.org. StandUpAmericaUS.org. Right. Okay, got Thank it. Thank you. All right. Absolutely. Yeah, and I look forward to it. And Edward, last word here again with you. Um uh, this program and broadcast, I, I, you know, the timing on this is uh, is interesting. The fact that we're just launching the Citizens Commission for Restoring America, that you founded it, you guys are doing it. I think it's not, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable and amazing. This program will be the catalyst for this. Uh, pretty exciting, isn't it? Yes, it is. And and uh, it's part of destiny, in my opinion. And And the key thing here for people and your listeners to understand is that this is not normal politics. This is a blood sport for absolute power. Mm. And I'm honored to work with Paul and Tom and Mary and, and honored to be on your program with Paul to help people understand that this is an effort that can't be waged by any single individual or group. It has to be the people reawakening with the governors and states and taking back power from the federal, back to the state level, back to the power of the people. And so and our efforts is to be very simple. We're going to provide them directives to which they can print, sign, and send to the specific people we'll give them direction to, to help amplify that message. And hopefully we can restore America to where it should be. Amen. Amen. Yep. Bring it back to the states where it belongs, the 10th Amendment. Bring it back to the states. Bring it back to the local. Uh, and tell the federal government to shut up and sit down. And we'll tell them what we need them to do next. Um, that is how this thing operates. These cats work for us. We own, we own this, uh, this paradise here, friends. Uh, I can't keep any, make it any more simpler than that. Uh, I say that with the utmost respect and dignity, but I say it just the same. Our friends, thank you for joining us here on this incredible mission. What an extraordinary broadcast, uh, the entire program today. We, we've covered some ground here today, uh, both in our economic, our immigration, and our national security. Got a lot to look forward to. Remember Thursday, we launch on the 26th, the National Security Hour. Uh, thank you for joining me on the mission here on Viewpoint this Sunday. It's time to get involved and get loud, America. <laughs>